Well, hey, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Stone Table Podcast. My name is Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor at Baylife Church. And I'm Nikki, and I am a worship arts coordinator at Baylife. And we are back today for a Theology of episode. Theology of. It's like an echo, almost. Yeah. I like that. Of, of, of. Yeah. Yeah, so we took a little bit of a break towards the end of April, beginning of May, but we are back in the swing of things with weekly episodes, and last week was a debrief, this week is yes. a theology of, and we are tackling the topic of fasting. Fasting. And and the idea mm-hmm. behind this is really drawn from a series of blogs we've been putting out over at the resources page in our Deep Well blog that you can find at baylife.org slash resources. We've been talking about the spiritual disciplines for a couple of weeks now. Some of our contributing authors, Rhiannon Ray, um, and then Bobby Varghese, as well as you, have all been contributing on different... Different spiritual di- disciplines. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We felt really inspired to write about this, um, sort of a series, I guess, is what we call it. We just call it a series of... Blogs around it. Blogs a similar around theme. it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we just felt really kind of called to that because I feel like in the past few months, we've just really recognized the importance of rhythm and structure in our routines, especially as things have changed with our work schedules and just accessibility and just the things that we've been, you know, having to get used to doing from home. And so that leaves a lot of room for, you know, being being distracted. And so I think in this time, God's really been teaching us about the importance of being structured and, and just having a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And spiritually, we depend on that so heavily. Right. And spiritual disciplines have become just, a, they've always been a need for us mm-hmm. because a spiritual being, we need we need structure. Mm-hmm. And just in the past couple months, it's just really been apparent to us that we need to be more disciplined in right. areas spiritually. And I think fasting has been an area of weakness for me, sure. for sure. Yeah. Um, and it, we just felt like it was important to talk about. And so in this week's episode of Theology of, we wanted to dive into the theology of fasting and what that looks like and what the Bible says about it. Right, yeah. And, and the reality is that fasting is probably something that is fairly widely neglected among Christians yeah. in our day and age. It's something that the culture has adapted. And this is the thing that is, is so interesting when you look at sort of modern secular culture is that it takes a lot of the religious disciplines and the, the spiritual practices that, that Christians devoted themselves to, and it kind of transforms it into a secular version. And so I was thinking of this this book that I read called The Supper of the Lamb, which is mm-hmm. by this Episcopal priest, uh, Robert Farrar Kappen, I think is his name. And he talks about how we don't fast anymore. We just go on diets. Mm. Like secular people don't think there's anything to the spiritual practice of fasting yeah. And and actually denying yourself the consumption of calories, but they'll happily eat food with no calories, no calories. in it yeah. as they diet. And so our sort of our modern atheist version of fasting is just going on fad diets. And, and so the culture has lost the ability to see the value in fasting, but I think the church has also lost the value in mm. fasting as well. And I think for many of us as Christians, we don't even know what it is. Like, I don't yeah. know that we can even put our finger on it and explain it succinctly. Yeah, I think definitely 
in the secular culture with dieting and all that has kind of stripped away its significance, but there's something deeply spiritual about fasting. Yeah. Um, and we see it in the old Testament. We see it in the new Testament. Jesus directly uh, commands it uh, mm-hmm. in the gospel of Matthew. Right. And it, it's just a deeply spiritual thing. And so we really wanted to dive in and, and talk more about it. Right. So, Maybe the first thing to do is to kind of demystify what, right. what, what is, is fasting. What is yeah. fasting? Yeah. So it's not eating like diet foods, right? Uh, it's like a, our culture would say. Yeah, it's abstaining from food, right? And sometimes water, right? And and I think this is important to say because I I grew up in a high school ministry that I was super super grateful for, but mm-hmm. I know one year we decided as a ministry to go through the season of Lent. Lent, yeah. And and one of the big things about Lent is fasting and and devoting yourself to contemplation of sin and repentance. Mm-hmm. And what was communicated to me was fasting can be giving up anything you want. And so you can fast from TV, you can fast from video games, right? You can fast from saying bad words. I don't, I mean, there's all sorts of ridiculous stuff that was, was put out and which are good things. These are good things to to give up, especially if they have been occupying your time and you've made idols of these things. But if we're thinking biblically, right, I think that it's important to mention that the Bible talks about, Fasting from food. Right. Yeah. When we when we look at the scope of scripture, fasting is not just giving up comforts. It's specifically right. giving up food and a sometimes need. water mm-hmm. for a period of time. Now there's exceptions. Sure. I, I can think of like the Daniel, Daniel the Daniel fast, quote unquote, in mm-hmm. the book of Daniel. But those are our exceptions. Biblically speaking, fasting is giving up food and sometimes food and water for a particular period of time. So maybe that's like the mechanics of fasting. That's yeah. what it is. You're abstaining from food and, and sometimes water. But but what's going on spiritually in fasting? So I think that in, in Scott McKnight's book, Fasting, he talks a lot about how when we fast, it's, it's sort of an outward expression of what's going on on the inside. Mm. So there's a quote from the book and it says, fasting is a person's full-bodied response to life's grievous sacred moments Mm, and whether that sacred moment is sin or it's a death or Mm -hmm. just something that someone's lamenting our response to sin and sadness and death should be something grievous and dramatic right it should be this embodied practice exactly and i love what he says in one of the later chapters is when we for example when we worship we close our eyes we raise our hands that's a physical manifestation of what we're doing. We're adoring Mm -hmm. God and worshiping and praising him. And so we use our bodies to worship because as spiritual beings, we want to embody our spirituality. Right. And so we kind of create outward expressions of Mm -hmm. what's going on on the inside with fasting. It's an outward expression of what is going on on our inside. So when we pray to God, when we repent of Mm -hmm. our sin, when we mourn the loss of someone in our families or mourn something sad, like injustice and cruelty. Yeah. When we fast, it's, it's an outward expression, a bodily expression of the lament and the mourning and the grievance that's going on on the inside. Yeah. That's, I think that's so good. And and that's something that a lot of like modern evangelical, especially Protestant churches have lost is Mm -hmm. the importance of the body. Yeah. We kind of come and we sit and maybe we'll stand up and we'll listen to the songs, but but the embodied sense right. of worship has been lost. The, that, that book that we've been using for our series on the spiritual disciplines by Dallas Willard. Yes. So uh, it's uh, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Yeah. 
And one of the things that he says in it is that the greatest tool God gives us for the, our spiritual life is our bodies. Mm, what yes. we do with our bodies shapes our spiritual life. And it, and it's the greatest tool that we have. It's the greatest resource yeah. we have to grow into Christ likeness, obviously apart from the Holy Spirit right. and the scriptures. It's like a supplement, right? It's like we pray and we supplement that by fasting. Right. We, we adore and we worship the Lord and we supplement that with the songs that we sing, right. the, the things that we do and those times of worship. Right. Yeah. And, and I think we see this in something like the book of Psalms. So mm, Psalm yes. 35 chapter 11, or I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 35 verses 11 through to 16, we see David talking about being sinned against and, and he talks about the way that he responds to those who have sinned against him. And this is what David says in the Psalms. He says, malicious witnesses rise up and they ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. Mm. And one of the things that an Old Testament commentator points out is that this psalm kind of assumes that merely feeling sadness is not enough. Because we're physical creatures and not just minds and spirits, it would be odd not to express our sorrow in abstaining from food. Mm. And so when David mourns for his enemies, even his enemies, he doesn't just think to himself, oh, that's so sad what's happened to them, but he responds by fasting. And and we kind of we, we kind of get back to what you were talking about, Mickey, which is that fasting is this embodied response to injustice, to our own sin or the sin that we see out mm. in the world. And yeah. and it's almost as if our repentance or our mourning isn't complete until it finds its way into our bodies like it did for David. Right. And we kind of know that intrinsically, even when yes. we look out into the world. I think of something like the the college admissions scandal that happened a few years With ago. Lori Laughlin. Right. Yeah. She's it, what show is she on? She's on. She was on Full House, okay. I think is what she's most famous for. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much what happened, if I understand this correctly, she and her husband paid for their kids to be admitted to a college that they hadn't actually been accepted to. Right. Into, yeah. Their they, grades weren't good enough or something like and that. And they paid the college to accept them and enroll them or right. I think is the gist of what happened. And it was done in secret and then later found out and leaked or something. And everyone kind of freaked out and it caused an uproar because that's not fair, right? Right. It's it's not a fair thing to do. And, you know, we just kind of expect better from people. And so when that happened, everyone um, just kind of called for a, Hey, what's up with that? That's not a cool thing to do. And there's a significant legal battle too. Oh yeah. I I think she's still going through the legal battle right now. Yeah. And, and I think that she claimed to be sorry and she expressed you know how how wrong it was to do that and how sorry she was and it apologized profusely and i believe it was a tweet yeah she probably apologized something online but then what happened is at the courthouse she was outside smiling laughing signing autographs and not looking sorry at all right and so people were like you say you're sorry but you don't really look like it right and yeah. So and, and, it's it's a contradiction, right? It's, right? You can't just say you're sorry for something and apologize and then not act, embody it. And not embody it. That's just not natural. Right. And and so that we see that kind of intrinsically just with this cultural thing. Yeah. Like I remember when the pictures of her outside of the courthouse leaked uh-huh. and people freaked out because she had said how sorry she was in print, but she didn't look sorry. She hadn't embodied the grief that she said she was feeling. Yep. 
And that's kind of what fasting is, is it's us embodying this grief mm. for sin or for sickness or for evil that we see in the world. And so maybe that brings us to a more concrete question. Why should we fast? What are what are some good reasons to fast? What are some grievous sacred moments, if we want to use Scott McKnight's language, yeah. that should prompt us to fast? I think there are many different things that should prompt us to fast. I mean, I think of it as a response to evil, right? right. Whenever we see an injustice going on in the world or we see something happening that shouldn't be or we see mistreatment or, or just a response to any evil. Yeah, there's a great example of that in the book of Nehemiah. Um, In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. And we we see in chapter 1 that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words... I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Mm. And so sort of the grievous sacred moment is this terrible event that has happened to yeah. his, his fellow Jews. It's the destruction of Jerusalem. It's the tearing down of the walls. It's the shame mm-hmm. that it brings on God's people. It hasn't even happened in Nehemiah, but he sees that it's happened to people he cares about, and his right. response is fasting and weeping. Right, and, and that brings us to something that I think should should be more common among Christians today, which is that when we see evil in the world, mm. when we see sin in the world, when we see the church persecuted in the world, when we hear stories of, of Christians suffering from this pandemic or from the result of hostility, we should yeah. fast in response to that. We should mourn with our bodies in response to the suffering that we see. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that another reason why we're prompted to fast is the repentance of our own sin, right? Sure. Um, I think of the passage in Leviticus, and I'll read it for us. It is chapter 23, verses 26 through 32. It's the Day of Atonement The Day of Atonement, right. And it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. So it it might be helpful to kind of clear some ground here as to what's going on. The Day of Atonement is the day in which the high priest makes an offering for the collective sins of the people of Israel. It's this high holy day in Judaism that God gives to to Moses and to to the priesthood of Aaron. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that on that day, God doesn't just want them to offer a sacrifice for their sins. He doesn't just want them to be sorry for their sins. He wants them to afflict themselves right. instead. Yeah, And that's the same language that David uses in Psalm 35. He says, yep. I afflicted myself with fasting. And mm-hmm. all, all Old Testament scholars agree that this afflict yourself language is a reference to fasting. Mm. And it might also be a reference to sleeping on the ground. And in a way, God is saying here, you, your bodies need to be as empty as your sin. Right. Yeah. There's something about fasting that kind of embodies when, when we're repenting, when mm-hmm. we're fasting to mourn our sin, 
were saying that that just as empty and as hollow and as lifeless as I feel right now because I haven't right. eaten, that's that's what my sin is. It's empty. It's hollow. It's lifeless. It's it, how it leaves us. Right. It can't it can't sustain us. And so when we're fasting, we're not just thinking it, but we're feeling it in this really tangible mm. way. And, and I, I I I would just encourage people to to incorporate fasting into your repentance. Especially mm. if you if you don't if you don't yet feel the weight of conviction, you know that you've right. sinned, but you don't feel the weight of your sin. Fasting, I think, is a really important piece of you coming to terms with the wastefulness mm. of sin, and and we see it again in the book of Jonah. Right when Jonah yeah. preaches to the Ninevites, their response is to fast. Actually, it's not just the human beings that fast in Nineveh; it's the animals. Right which is unbelievable like to think about making our cat augustine fast when we've <laughs> sinned just clearing out the bowl yeah but but there is something about that it seems to be really central to repenting of sin mm. in scripture is is enacting the emptiness through fasting so true there's maybe one other reason to fast that, that I want to mention in this podcast. And there's more, and, and we talk about that in that Theology of Food class that we offer every once in a while oh, yeah. through foundations and our five for five stuff. But but one other thing I want to mention is fasting sort of as an anticipation of Christ's return. Mm. And we see this in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. And just to set a little bit of context, some of the disciples of John the Baptist have come to Jesus to ask him a question. And this is the question in verse 14. It says that then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. Mm. Now there's some context that's important here, yeah. right? Yeah. In Jesus's day, there were many devout Jews who practiced fasting twice a week and this was something that even the the disciples of John the Baptist practiced, and they were very diligent about it. Yeah, absolutely. It was seen as kind of a, a basic mark of holiness. Was that and crucial you, too? Right. It was essential yeah. that you fasted twice a week, and that was something that not only did John's disciples do, but the Pharisees did as well. Right. And so John's disciples come to Jesus and say, "Hey, everyone is doing this. This is kind of like the mark of holiness. Mm -hmm. Why aren't your disciples fasting?" And Jesus's point is that when the the groom sits down at a wedding. Nobody fasts, everybody feasts. Right. Which kind of reminds me of the, the culture that I grew up in, especially on my mom's side of the family. Mm -hmm. Whenever we would go over to my grandparents' house to eat, the, the rule was that nobody could eat until the cook sat down. Mm. Did you have any anything like this Something in your family? Something like that, yeah. 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 It's, kind of, it's a mark of... Uh, Almost like respect. Reverence, yeah. Right. It's, it's uh, abstaining from indulging in the food mm -hmm. until the person who prepared it makes it to the table. Right. And and I remember it was almost like the ceremonial thing when yeah. we were at my grandparents' house where like my grandma would pick up the fork and as soon as that fork touched that everyone's steak everyone's digging in. <laughs> everyone's digging in, right? It's fair game. Yeah. And once once the, the the chef sits down, it's a party, man. Right. Like we're gonna have a good time and we're right. gonna eat. And Jesus basically says that in some way in the incarnation, mm. the, the groom has sat down at the table the chef has sat down at the table so there's no need to fast jesus is there he's he's present this is a party this is a feast yes this is a celebration so yeah. that's why they're not fasting while jesus is there and i think that this paints a picture of what it looks like to be in longing and in waiting right because like you said when you're yeah yeah 
would sit down to eat before she does that mm-hmm. you're sitting there waiting for her to come sit oh down my gosh. especially was, if you're starving right, right? as you like were, a 10 year old it felt like hours yeah. yeah and so prior to her sitting down and beginning the the, the feast mm-hmm. it's like your state of longing mm-hmm. is is heightened right? right because if she's still in the kitchen and everyone's sitting down mm-hmm. you're you're waiting right you're sitting you can't and you're waiting yeah. you can't eat and yeah. the second that she does mm-hmm that's when it becomes a party. Right. So I think that that paints a really important picture of us as we are in waiting mm-hmm. for Christ's second coming. Yeah. Right. As we're sitting here waiting, we need to be abstaining from mm-hmm. some things and spending time in fasting right. until we can truly feast in the presence of Jesus. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what Jesus gets at. He says, you know, while I'm here, there's no need to fast, but the right. days will come when the bridegroom is taken away mm-hmm. and then they will fast. Right. Jesus assumes that once he's taken up into heaven, once once he goes to see, sit down at the right hand of the Father, that we as his disciples will start fasting again. Yep. There's this pause as, as the chef sits down at the table in mm-hmm. the incarnation. But when Jesus leaves, the fasting picks back up. And that's what makes it such a shame that, that most Christians don't fast is Jesus expected us to. Right. It's, it's part of us waiting for his return. It's, it's, mm. it's almost as if when we fast, we are longing for the day when the chef is going to sit yes. down. And, and it kind of reminds me of a, a couple years ago in particular. I remember agreeing to meet a friend of mine who we'll call Steve for the sake of Steve mm-hmm. remaining anonymous. I was supposed to meet Steve for lunch on both of our lunch breaks for work. And I, I got there probably 10 minutes, 10 minutes early before. before and I put my order in. And the order came in right around when Steve was supposed to be getting there. Mm -hmm. And then I got a text from Steve and he was like, hey, I'm going to be 20 minutes late. And so I'm sitting there with this plate of food (laughs) and I've got this sort of cultural thing where like, you you, you don't eat until everyone gets there. And I have never checked the door of a restaurant (laughs) like I did with that plate of food sitting in front of me. To make sure he was coming. Right. Yeah. Because as soon as Steve sits down, man, it is fair game. Right. But until Steve gets there, there's this longing and there's this emptiness because I'm hungry, man. I don't eat breakfast normally. So there's this and, and it's it's maybe a little bit trite, but like. There's a sense in which I was fasting until Steve sat down and the feast could begin. And in the same way, I think this is a picture of what happens when Christians choose to abstain from God's good gift of food by fasting. As our bodies kind of scream out and say, you know, you're hungry and you need to eat something. We Mm -hmm. say back, I can't eat until the chef sits down. I can't eat until the bridegroom is here. And then in some sense, we check the door like I did as I waited for Steve and we cry out with John in the book of Revelation, come, come Lord, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. So ultimately fasting is about mourning sin, both in ourselves and in the world, but it's also this act of hope mm. because it reminds us of the day that is coming when the master of the feast will sit down and we can finally eat. Yes, I love that. And I love what you just touched on when it's time to feast that mm. moment because I feel like there are times and seasons of fasting and mm-hmm. then there are times and moments of feasting as well. Yeah, I think that that also marks a very deeply spiritual um, practice. practice too yeah. when we feast. And and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more maybe in our next Theology of session. Yeah, I think feasting would, would be a good one yeah. to, to hit on, yeah. Yes, but I think also it's important to keep in mind at the end of fasting, there's feasting. Right. And Jesus is present there too. Right, absolutely. And that's that's so good. And, and maybe we can dive into that in our next Theology of. Yes. But it, it might be worth it as we kind of conclude talking about fasting to just offer a few resources to people who who hear this and go, you know, I've never fasted before, but I would really like to 
take up that practice. Mm. Uh, yeah. So are there any books that you might recommend for people? Yeah, I feel like when when I was writing this blog, I dived into a dived dove yeah. <laughs> <laughs> into a couple different different resources. Scott McKnight's book called Fasting was extremely helpful. It's really good. And yeah. of course, Dallas Willard's um, book on the spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was very good too. And John Piper has a great book also called A Hunger for God. Yeah. That was super helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Piper book, I think, is online for free. Oh, okay. And then cool. the Scott McKnight book and the Willard book are both available on Amazon. All of them are really, really helpful yes. in thinking about the spiritual discipline of fasting and and why that is central to our our health and our growth and our relationship with the Lord. So with that being said, it's it's probably time to wrap up. Yes. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Stone Table. If you found it helpful, do us a favor, rate, subscribe, tell your friends about it, help us get the word out about this show. Also, we would love to hear from you. So if you've got questions or topics that you'd like for us to cover in the show, go ahead and send us an email at thestonetable at baylife.org. So with that being said, I'm Travis. And I'm Mickey. And this is The Stone Table. Thank you.